I think I space out on the toilet though. Ah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I'm there. I don't have a phone or anything to distract me, but I have my thoughts to distract me. Right. Right. So now that's a challenge I will accept. Mm-hmm. When I next time I poop, I'm gonna be really aware of it because it feels good to poop. Right. Most time. Hey everybody, welcome to Boss Time Podcast. I'm recording this episode from my cool bus, which is a renovated school bus that I've been driving around the country for about a month now, and so I haven't put out an episode in a while, so I'm coming back. I talked to Kat a couple months ago, that's what this episode is, and it's really cool to reflect on it because this trip that I'm on uh, with this school bus, it still has a lot of moments of like stress and worry and this sort of sense that life is tomorrow and life happens later and that's not true. I'm on a beautiful adventure and I, and I hope for a lot of you, you've chosen where you are today. Some part of a previous you wanted this and that's kind of cool, you know? And so take a moment to enjoy where you are. And this episode is about that kind of. Kat's a positive psychology lecturer at University of Texas at Brownsville. And so this is about her journey into that profession and includes a bunch of tactics that I hope you'll be able to use to enjoy your life. So here's Kat. Enjoy. Are you an Anthony Bourdain fan? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And so he was like, what, 61 or something? Um, Somewhere up there. And something that I've been noticing lately in my life and in just other adults is that life doesn't really get easier, you know? Um, And like the shit keeps coming and the existential (laughs) crises keep, (laughs) you know, they keep happening. And like, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you're self-aware, you're, you're bound to get better at some things, but I don't know. Maybe unless you have like some crazy near death experience and you're one of those few people that gets released from the everything from all the stress in some sort of lasting way. I think the most of us just have to sort of deal with it forever. And so starting there, I guess I'm wondering just how you like how you see life in general as a, as a struggle or an opportunity, what sort of stuff do you like personally feel like you need to, uh, to make the most out of it? And what is like a, I don't know, like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, what does a good life look like? What is, yeah, it's a big one. <laughs> it is. And I've actually been reading a few articles. Uh, Kate Spade also committed suicide a few days before Anthony Bourdain and I, I've been reading that the suicide rate is up 30% from 1999. And that's that's insane to me. Like, what is it that causes people to go to that length? And, I mean, of course, there's mental illness and things like depression, but there's there's a lot more to it than that. And I think one of the biggest things that I've seen in my own studies and reading and teachings is that a lot of people feel like the good life is about success, is about making money, about having things, doing things. And that's, I think, where we go wrong. Now, I can't speak for Anthony or Kate, but, you know, in my own life, and my own experience, when I'm looking outward for some sort of, like, recognition from other people or someone to say, good job, like, that's where I start to find myself kind of falling into self-doubt or even um, experiencing the imposter syndrome. Have you heard of that? Yes. It's kind of like this idea, for those who don't know about it, that um, no matter how much, you know, I could have a PhD, I could have all these awards, I could have written, you know, 20 books, and if I suffer from the imposter syndrome, I'm going to feel like a fake, a phony, and that at any moment, people are going to find out that I'm not qualified to be doing what I'm doing, and it's going to be a humiliating experience. And that's actually something that I deal with. 
on a daily basis, even though I'm not a celebrity or anything, just in my own work, you know, in my own job. Sometimes I, I feel that I feel that way. And it's usually when I feel like at the height of that, it's usually when I'm looking for some sort of external, uh, you know, reward or recognition from other people. And that's a really dangerous place to go is looking outside. Right. Um, it, it's, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us do it. And I think a lot of really big celebrities probably have that. Um, I, I don't know about Kate Spade, but from what I've read about Anthony Bourdain, I think he might have experienced that as well. That kind of imposter syndrome. Feeling like he didn't deserve his fame, his recognition. Mm-hmm. And I guess if we if we continually take on... Uh, you know, goals and things about our identity, you know, like I'm a, a writer now, or I'm a personal trainer now, or I'm a, a father or something like that's, that's natural. And it's what we're going to do in this world. But I guess you're saying it's, there's this other essence to self that isn't reliant on our validation as that identity, right? Right. Like there's this internal compass or just enjoyment of life. Can you talk about what that is in yourself or in people in general and maybe an example of like when you've when you've gotten back down to that person in your life okay um what comes to mind is uh just not taking myself too seriously I do have a habit of doing that and it brings me down. So one thing that kind of helps me become centered and grounded again is to be silly and laugh and be able to laugh at myself instead of taking myself too seriously and thinking, Oh my God, I can't believe I said that those people are going to think I'm an idiot or, you know, publicly humiliated myself. And it's like, no, it's funny. Mm -hmm. Who's going to remember that in a month or five years? You know, mm-hmm. so I love breaking social norms and doing things to purposely embarrass myself because it reminds me that nobody cares. I'm my biggest critic. Right. Like what's <laughs> some like what's something that you do? How do you um, how, how do you how do you use that? Because that's not normal for most people. No, it's not. So uh, for my social psychology students, I have them breaking social norms and it depends on their level of comfort. So a really shy person that's so concerned what other people thinks of them, just wearing two different shoes is a huge deal for them. Anxiety provoking, right? Um, But for somebody more like me, I'm willing to make an ass of myself and do something a little bit more extreme, like go around riding in a shopping cart in Target while singing, I don't know, the alphabet song or something. Mm-hmm. Just ri- completely ridiculous and silly. Um, I had an opportunity to do that recently. We were staying in a hotel and uh, we were in an elevator. And you know, elevators are super awkward places where you're kind of forced into a small space for you know a few minutes or if even that with strangers. And we were standing in the elevator and this guy gets in the elevator and I I smile and I say hi and he kind of just ignores me, whatever. And then he goes straight to the uh, where the numbers are to pick the floor and he just stares there like straight at the at the wall. And I thought to myself, God, this is like the perfect opportunity to just, you know, start singing happy birthday or just dancing or something. I I didn't I didn't do it. Um, I should have totally should have. So what is it like, like? Would you actually? I've heard other people talk about this. Would you actually recommend that to someone as a? Oh yeah. You know, so like, like real quickly, you're you're a positive psychology lecturer, and mm-hmm. um, you're you're into mindfulness, right? And sort of just like exploring how to use psychology to better better your quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the in this general toolkit, I want to get into a lot of stuff. Would you actually recommend, like, either just a couple or like a regimen of doing silly, breaking <laughs> social norms things for anybody? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it pulls you back into the moment because it's so easy to space out and you know start thinking, what am I going to eat for lunch or what am I going to do this weekend? Yada yada yada. You do something ridiculous that makes you feel embarrassed. 
um, and maybe even a little bit anxious, but I think it's actually good for you. Um, so somebody who is very, very like socially anxious, I would recommend starting small and doing something like wearing two different shoes mm-hmm. and then kind of working your way up. No, no, until you're doing something like singing happy birthday to a stranger in an elevator. Right. Because why not? It puts you in that moment. And what does, like you said, puts you in that moment. Uh, mm-hmm. If there's a state of mindfulness, right? Mm-hmm. What, what is, what does like pre-mindfulness look like? Or rather, what, what does not being in a state of mindfulness look like? Just so, so, I, just, just so I can know if I'm doing it. <laughs> right, right. Actually, that's a good way to explain what mindfulness is, is to first talk about what it isn't. And so uh, maybe you've had this experience, I'm sure a lot of people have, where you get in your car to drive to work at the grocery store and you arrive at your destination and you realize, I have no recollection of the drive on the way over here. I don't know what I saw. I don't remember stopping for the red lights. You know you did because you arrived there safely but you have no recollection of anything, um, that would definitely be mindless. And that's, a, I think, how about a third of our days are spent when we're awake in that sort of mindlessness. Uh, because you're thinking. You're thinking the car is a good place to kind of space out. If you're an experienced driver, if you've been doing it for a while, if you're a new driver, then you're probably going to be more aware your surroundings but for somebody who's been doing it for years it's something you you can go into automatic pilot with um the shower is another place that we tend to kind of space out and what's wrong not be mindful what's wrong with uh being mindless and thinking like how does how does just that sort of lead to uh, more serious conditions of depression and anxiety. How, how are those related? Because it seems sort of harmless to just sort mm-hmm. of space out while you're driving or showering. Sure. How does that add up to something that you should put your attention to? Well, it becomes harmful when you're ruminating. When you start ruminating over, maybe you had a, a fight with someone or a breakup, a bad breakup, and you're just kind of like constantly ruminating about it and thinking, I could have done this, I should have done that, or I should have said this, I should have said that. And that gets you caught up in this this negative feedback loop where you're doing much more harm for yourself than you are doing good. And so it's also repressing feelings. Repression is something, you know, that Freud talked a lot about, um, but there's something to it. It's a really negative, harmful thing that we do when we repress emotions. So, for example, emotions like fear or anger, they're often very uncomfortable. And so people don't want to experience that. And so instead of letting it kind of pass through you and just accepting those negative emotions and the way that they make you feel physically even, uh, we kind of repress it. And we distract ourselves with drugs or alcohol or TV or food or sex or you name it, some way to distract it instead of facing it. Uh, and that can be really, really negative and really harmful for us. So I guess if you're if you find that you're in a state of anxiety or a state of anger, right? And you're 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 self aware enough to realize that you're going through uh you're uh, ruminating or you're in some sort of pattern of emotion, mm-hmm. thought, emotion, thought, emotion, thought, right? And because you've heard about mindfulness or whatever, right? Like, that's good. First of all, you're in a good place to, to, to notice that, you know? And so, if you like, give me an example of what your internal dialogue might look like if you're, like, let's say you're not talking to me right now, or maybe you are, maybe you're in this actual moment. What, like, what's, like, what are you going to do inside your head to bring you back from uh, an anxious or ruminating or angry or something like that state? What does that look like inside your head? Well, the first thing you have to do is recognize that you feel the way that you do. Let's take anxiety, for example. Um, That's something that I've dealt with for a long time, and I found mindfulness to be really helpful with it because um, let's just pretend that, you know, so I had a social anxiety fear for a long time. And I would start to feel physical symptoms of the anxiety. So maybe I'd feel like uh, butterflies in my stomach or a tingling sensation. And then in my head, I would think, oh, no, here's the anxiety. And just thinking about it 
and fearing it made it worse. So I was anxious about being anxious. So when I started practicing mindfulness, instead of going there, I would say, okay, um, this is what anxiety feels like. And I would focus on what the physical symptoms felt like. You know, my heart would start to raise. I would start to perspire. And I would just try to observe it without letting those crazy, fearful thoughts come in and take over. And even if they did, even if those crazy, fearful thoughts came in, I would just also try to observe those. And it's a really simple thing that any of us can do. But it's really hard to let go at the same time and just be that observer. But through practice, it's uh, it becomes a lot easier, a lot more doable. Mm-hmm. And is that like, do you get better at it in time? Like, is there absolutely? A, is there like a if you're like selling this to somebody, quote unquote? <laughs> is there is there a promise or like a or something that? Like this gets easier with time and improves your quality of life. How do you know if it does or not? Well, the majority of people do improve, but like with anything, if you're running a marathon or you know anything that you're trying to do, practice is going to make you better at it. Um, and so, for the majority of people, they do become less anxious, become less reactive, become less depressed. Um, mindfulness has been shown clinically in a number of studies to help us uh, with things like chronic illness um, or chronic pain, addiction, um, of course, depression, anxiety. And in some cases, they've even looked at a childbirth, the pain of childbirth becoming less through the practice of mindfulness. So I don't know. It sounds pretty promising to me. Wow. Interesting. So sort of yeah. like uh, I'm picturing it like you referenced practicing for a marathon. You know, the more mm-hmm. that you run and train, the more that you'll get better at it. And I guess it's the same. Like any, any out of shape person can potentially like put their body in a state where they can do um, almost any activity, you know, maybe not win a gold medal at it, but you know, like within reason they can become a, become a runner, become a climber, mm-hmm. or become a weightlifter or something with practice and hard work. I guess mindfulness is the same way where, yeah where you're saying like the, the symptoms of mindlessness, maybe uh, addiction, out of control emotions, um, you know, anxiety and depression. And then so with increased practice of mindfulness, I could like, I could see a reduction in those things big time. Absolutely. And how does, how does working with others play into that? Cause this is something that anybody could do by, reading books and working on it themselves. But like, so you teach it, so you do it with students. How, mm-hmm. have, you, how have you noticed that having friends and support, how does that play into like mindfulness practice? Well, you've probably heard that phrase that uh, birds, of a flutter, <laughs> birds of a feather flock together, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of that same idea. So when we, when we surround ourselves with people that are doing healthy things, that are exercising, eating healthier, um, meditating on a regular basis, we're more likely to do those things. The same is true of people who uh, eat too much, right? If you, if you uh, hang out with friends, that, that's just what they do is they eat junk food all the time to celebrate or use drugs or whatever it is, you're more likely to do that. So by surrounding yourself with like-minded people that are trying to become more mindful or trying to better themselves, then you're more likely to be successful in that. Is it is it possible to uh, to like be too mindful? <laughs> um, so when I do teach this to students, there are usually a handful of them who the whole practice just bothers them, at least in the beginning, because they they tend to be those people that are, they either have been diagnosed with ADHD or they are somewhere on that, uh, that spectrum. But yeah, it's the people that have a hard time sitting still. And so those are the people that I say, you probably need it more than anybody else. Uh, but some people take it the wrong way. And instead of observing non-judgmentally, they just obsess about trying to notice everything. And that's impossible. 
for us to notice every single thing that's going on, not only like outside of our awareness, but also internally. So it's easier just to focus on one or two things, like the way that your body feels, uh, you know, the way I can feel my, my butt sitting in this chair and my feet resting on the, the chair rest. Um, I'm slightly hungry, so I can feel those sensations. So it's best to focus on a couple of different things, like emotions, thoughts, or your surroundings. Because if you try to do notice everything, your cognitive system is going to become overwhelmed, and you're not going to be noticing anything. So, yeah, it can get a little obsessive, I guess. Right. Try to, yeah. I find being, uh, being a human kind of hard, which is, I think, that why why people would uh, succumb to mindlessness, right, mm -hmm. and succumb to habit because it allows me to just sort of stop making choices and start just like going into this habit, and it may be painful or have consequences that I don't like, but at least I don't have to like. As long as it feels exhausting to continually make choices about what I'm thinking about and what I'm paying attention to. Right. Yeah. And and I guess that that course correction into mindfulness is really hard at first. And uh, so one of the things, that, the reason why I preface that is because like one of the goals of mindfulness and meditation is to view things without judgment to just experience them, right? Mm -hmm. And but also uh, I've. I don't know, I believe and I've heard from other people that sort of emotions are one of the ways that we humans uh, and probably animals too experience the world and it's a beautiful part about us, you know, to, f to be in touch with our emotions. So how do you mm -hmm. sort of, how do you navigate like when, when to feel something and like give in to something or exercise something outwardly, you know, and when to sort of observe it and not react to it, you know, because it seems it's like a hard thing to navigate to be a, yeah. to be like a monk in the middle, not reacting to anything. But then, like that guy looks cool, but you know who else looks cool is the really, the really passionate artist person that's just expressing the honesty of the intensity of life, you know, mm -hmm. very much giving into their feelings. They both look really cool to me, and I don't know which one to be. <laughs> in, any, in any given moment, you know? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. And I don't know that I can fully answer it. Um, I tend to be, I think, more passive about things and not necessarily uh, reacting to them unless it needs, unless I need to. So like, for example, I'm a parent. And so I can't be like passive all the time. I can't be like, well, you know, my daughter's calling me names. She doesn't do that, by the way. But for example, she's disrespecting me or um, stealing, you know, just doing things that you don't want your kids to be doing. That's certainly something you should uh, act on, of course. Um, but then there's other times when, you know, for example, if I have like a negative encounter with a stranger, my old reactions would be to say something like, you know, get all diva on them or something, right? Um, and so now I've, I think I've learned a lot by just like kind of taking a step back and being like, you know what, I have no idea what this person's going through and I'm just going to let it be. So I think it's maybe that's a personal choice or something that we should look at. Uh, perhaps I should be a little more um, not reactive, but uh, maybe assertive in certain situations, I think I could probably be a little bit more assertive. Mm -hmm. And then you have people that are on the opposite side of the spectrum. I have a friend who is also into this whole mindfulness thing, and she has no problem telling people when they've done wrong. And it's almost a little bit too much, right? Because we shouldn't exert our beliefs and our feelings about what other people should be doing. That's, that's their lives. You know what I'm saying? So I think there's a fine line, a really fine line. Yeah. About that. I guess the way that I try to think about it is um, if someone's harming someone else in some way, either emotionally or physically, then perhaps something should be said. 
right? Yeah. So how does how would I think we're starting to approach the idea of uh, courage, right? Because there's sort of there's a type of mindfulness where I'm just letting bothersome things pass so that I don't take something that's potentially bothersome and more and, and bother myself further with it. You know, it's like like there's a mosquito mm-hmm. that just stung me. And so I spend the next day like um, capturing that mosquito and like trying <laughs> to convince him not to sting me anymore rather than just mm-hmm. like swi- swiping it and letting it go. Um, like, uh, oh, and then there's, and then there's the sort of like the time when we really have to do something difficult that we do feel and we can't shy away from, you mm-hmm. know, and we have to, we have to face that. How does, how does mindfulness lead into like courageous action, things that we're afraid of doing? That's a good question. Um, I know in my own experience, uh, when my mom was in the hospital a few years ago, she was dying and she had told me, you know, ever since she'd gotten sick that she wanted, she did not want to be a vegetable. She did not want to be kept alive on machines. So that was clear to me, her wishes. However, when the time came for me to actually make that decision and sign those papers, I knew what she wanted, but I was getting different messages from, you know, her friends. And it was a very, very difficult decision for me to make. And then a difficult thing for me to actually carry out and sign those papers and say, yes, this is what I want. You know, I was getting different messages from the doctor, from her friends. uh, But deep down, I knew what she wanted. And so I remember just kind of taking a moment um, by myself and just really feeling that emotion uh, there were so many different emotions. I mean, there was the sadness and the fear. And there was also this sense, uh, I think I was 29 at the time. And it was the first time I really felt like an adult, if that makes any sense at all. This was like, even though I had just gotten married too, right? And only adults can, are supposed to do that. But this was like that moment where I felt like an adult. And, you know... Oh, it was so it was so emotional. And I remember sitting in there just tears like running down my face. My face was all puffy and red and I'm sitting there signing the paper. But I knew that I was doing the right thing. And I tried to be as mindful in that moment as possible and not let the thoughts of, you know, what the doctor was saying, what her critical friends were saying and just knew or, or just know that I was doing the right thing. Um, so I think it kept me a little bit more clear headed in that moment. Yeah. Wow. That's really, yeah. I just want to understand the relation. Like, like in one sense, it's just, um, to be mindful about something is to not, uh, overreact and get overly whatever angry or anxious about a stimuli to just observe it. But in another sense, it's to observe that I'm feeling fear about yeah, something yeah. right and feel mm-hmm. that like all right i'm feeling fear and but i know in my heart that this is the right thing to do and so i'm going to walk forward into this and maybe i'll still feel the fear maybe i'll feel the anxiety maybe i'll feel yep. my shaky voice and my clammy hands as i go forward into this you know yeah and and i can be mindful of it you know but not let and i guess an example of mindlessness would be when you know something in your heart is right, but you're shying away from it. You're avoiding it. Yeah. You know? um, you're engaging in an addiction instead of it, or you're ignoring it, or you're acting out in some other way. And I guess your example was um, doing what you thought was right at the end of your mom's life. And I think the same process could be someone who like knows they need to, something simple, like knows they need to go work out. You know, and a mindfulness may reveal something that's like some motivation inside of you. I'm mindful Mm -hmm. of what my heart is asking me to do, you know, rather than rather than mindlessly avoiding my anxiety about doing something hard or something new. Absolutely. And it can be in just simple everyday situations. Like if you take eating, for example, Mm -hmm. 
there's a lot of studies that have been shown that people who eat mindfully, they eat less and they're more likely to eat healthier food and to lose weight or maintain a healthy weight and than people who seek food um, for pleasure or for other reasons to, you know, stuff down emotions. There's that idea that, you know, a girl breaks up with her boyfriend and she goes straight for the Ben and Jerry's. Like, you know, there's something to be said about that. Um, and I remember doing a fast one time. And I, I hadn't realized how much I mindlessly will pick up food and just put it in my mouth until I was doing the fast. And, you know, I saw a candy dish and I reached for it. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm fasting. I'm not supposed to be eating anything. But it was amazing how mindlessly we just do these things. Like, candy's not good for you. I know that. <laughs> so, yeah, it can help out in a number of different ways. And even in your relationships, day-to-day -day conversations, you know, uh, I'm guilty of this too. You're having a conversation and then you're just like on your phone, like in the middle of the conversation, you're not giving that person your undivided attention. And I don't know about you or anyone else, but I don't particularly appreciate it when I'm trying to talk to someone and they're on their phone, they're distracted. I'm only getting half their attention. Right. So being mindful in our conversations, in our relationships uh, can, can help to strengthen those. Help them grow. Where does, where have you found, uh, so like to, to notice that, or to have, have an intention that I want to be more mindful, right? And I believe that it can like benefit me in many ways. And then there's this, there's this thing where I could feel guilty and beat myself up for not being mindful, right? Mm -hmm. Um, where does like, forgiveness and internal dialogue and how you talk to yourself come into play when starting a, a mindfulness practice. Um, just maybe it's meditation, eating, fitness, whatever. Like, how do you, how do you, how, how are you gentle with yourself? How do you speak to yourself? Or how would you recommend that somebody um, have a relationship with themselves while they're trying to positively change? Yeah. So forgiving ourselves is probably one of the hardest things for many people. You know, we're likely to forgive uh, other people more readily than we are ourselves for whatever reason. So one thing I try to, to do for, for myself is to kind of picture myself as a child. It's a, often something that's used in, in therapeutic settings as well because it's kind of hard to not forgive a child for doing something like forgetting to be mindful. Right, so if we kind of picture ourselves as a smaller version of us, maybe more vulnerable, it's easier to forgive ourselves. And also just to remember that when you're first starting out, it's going to be really difficult to remember to be mindful all the time. And just being gentle with yourself, kind of like if you're starting to, to work out again. You know, if it's been a few months, let's say you had an injury or you're just getting started in, in exercising, you know, we see people that are that have been doing it for years that are running marathons and it's so hard to not compare ourselves to them but we have to remember that we're starting from the beginning and that we're not going to get from 0 to 60 in you know a couple of days it's going to take time it's going to take work and practice and so just like exercising you know for someone who hasn't exercised in let's say 6 months or ever you're not going to start by you know running a few miles You've got to start by walking and then maybe jogging and walking and jogging. And then finally, you know, through enough practice, you'll get there. It's kind of the same with mindfulness. And have you, have you had to um, discover this in, on your own? Are you just lucky to discover this? Um, is it something that you find is really rare in society or in schools or in modern parenting? Are these rare skills to discuss? Like, what have you found in your own adolescence growing up, you know, with what you were taught and how you've since learned mm -hmm. to deal with things? And what do you notice in the students that you teach? Mm. College-age students, that is. So when I was an adolescent, I think I was lucky because my mom got really involved in mental health um, she even put me in counseling for a number of years, too. And I, I, I honestly think that anyone, literally anyone, could benefit from counseling. Um, 
And the counselor that I saw actually kind of started to introduce me to meditation. And I had no idea what it was at the time. And, you know, I was 15 and I was like, whatever, lady, <laughs> you know. Um, but she planted a seed. And so then several years later, I stumbled upon it uh, from through a friend. And I had a completely different idea of what mindfulness was. I, I see those monks and they seem so... Uh, emotionless and still and I thought oh that's what mindfulness is okay so I need to not be bothered by people that annoy me I need to not be sad when someone says something that hurts my feelings and so I, I did that for I don't know a, a long while probably longer I'm, than I'd like to admit but um, eventually I came to see that wasn't what it was about because if anything I was repressing those feelings and it made it worse and so then it was really easy to beat myself up about it thinking god why am I so angry I'm supposed to be peaceful and calm and so after doing that for a while and seeing that it wasn't working I started to realize that no it's not about not feeling those things it's about just accepting them and feeling them instead of pushing them away or pushing them down it's about experiencing them and what I found was incredible that the more I allowed myself to feel anger or fear or anxiety the less they were present it was amazing mind-blowing like who would have thought um as far as my students when I talk about mindfulness it's generally something they've never heard of even though it is kind of a big buzzword um, in psychology it's getting a lot more recognition but still many students haven't heard of it and those who have, have probably taken me for another class because I use mindfulness, even in my statistics class, I offer them an extra credit assignment where they're able to practice mindfulness and then take a before and after measure. Uh, and we actually run statistics on it. So they enjoy that. Um, I use it in my cognitive class when we talk about attention. And then of course my positive psychology class is where I use um, a number of different mindfulness technique techniques. And at first, a lot of them say that they don't, feel that it will be very helpful, um, it's difficult to do, it's uncomfortable, but generally at the end of the semester, a majority of them say that it was one of their favorite things they learned and something that they plan to continue um, even after the class is over. So I think it's something we should use in schools. I'm trying to teach it to my own children, my own, at least the nine-year-old, She's kind of all over the place. Um, yeah, she's a character. Um, trying to teach it to her and it's work because she, she's bouncing around from this idea to that idea. So to get her to sit still for even five minutes is kind of uh, it's kind of a miracle. Yeah. But uh, I think, I know they are teaching it in some schools. I think they should teach it in every school. Mm. Such a great skill to learn. Yeah, something that that's, beautiful about it is, of course, a lot of the questions I've, a I've asked you are sort of uh, working at like going from a, uh, a disabled state or a negative state to a positive state, like it's like a lasting thing, or like it's a skill, like going from a white belt to a black belt in the martial arts. But one funny reality about mindfulness practices is they they can work immediately, you know? And mm -hmm. so if I'm thinking of my life as like an 80-year narrative of legacy and purpose and impact, then it's going to be pretty complicated and there really is a lot of pressure to it. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I, hope I, do the, I hope I do it right, and mindfulness is a tool <laughs> that, I, that I hope I can do it right with. But when I, if I just think about it in the context of the present moment, in the context of my day even, um, it's actually really, really effective, you know what I mean? And I think anybody, even if they're still experiencing the consequences of their bad habits, they're, whatever, they're smoking, they have health issues, they have relationship issues, they can still, in a moment, you know, in a day, find some sort of release or moment of presence or thing to be, thing to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, which is pretty cool. Have you, what, what are some shocking turnarounds that you've seen in either your daughters or in some students that you've worked with? You know, somebody that maybe you wouldn't expect for it to 
have helped them or them to have given a shit, but then they, they really do. So I have two examples. One is with my three-year-old and then another student that I, I had a couple years back. Um, with my three-year-old, uh, when she was two and a half, she really started with the tantrums and had a difficult time with her emotions. And, and the reason is that young children don't have the words to express emotions. And so what frequently happens is they get upset about something and they throw a tantrum because they don't have the words to express how they feel. And just imagine that. Imagine feeling like a, a two-year-old who doesn't get that lollipop that they wanted. You know, they're angry. They're, they're not in control. And so without the words... They react by kicking and screaming and throwing themselves on the ground. And so when I noticed her behavior starting to go this way, I tried to sit down with her, you know, when she was calm enough and try to give her the words to for her to express how she was feeling. And I would say, you know, do you feel angry? And then I would do something angry, you know, one of those kinds of things. And she, she understood what angry meant. And so with her, it's just so impressive with me now because instead of, not that she never throws tantrums because she totally does when she's three, but they're a lot less frequent than a lot of children her age, I think, because she's able to say, you know, I'm angry right now or I'm upset with you because blah, blah, blah. You know, and to me, that's just like mind blowing, mind blowing. Um, as far as the student, one that really stands out to me, the first time I ever taught positive psychology, I had this student. And at the beginning of the semester, he was kind of withdrawn. And, you know, he didn't really say much in class. But there was just something about him. I don't know what it was. But one day after class, I gave him um, a book that was about mindfulness. Because I just had this feeling that he would that he needed it. And so I gave it to him and a couple weeks later he came up to me and he he seemed like a different person. He had this light in his eyes. He started speaking up in class more. Um, yeah, it, it was an awesome experience. And, you know, halfway through the course, he he thanked me and he admitted that the only reason he was taking this class was because it was the only one available for his schedule. He had no expectations about taking positive psychology. You know, he just thought it was going to be just a kind of blow off course, but it actually ended up changing his life. After the semester ended, he came to me and told me that right before the semester had began, the December before, um, he had tried committing suicide. And I mean, he was just in a really, really dark place. And after practicing mindfulness and some of the other things that we discussed within the positive psychology course, you know, he was just such a happier person who wasn't contemplating suicide anymore. And, you know, he found love even. He did. He started dating a girl and uh, he just seemed so happy. And, yeah, I still talk to him sometimes, actually. He still comes by to visit and say, what's up? We have our mindfulness discussions, and that's yeah. a really that's a really cool spectrum. Your your daughter throwing tantrums and then <laughs> learning how to recognize that she's having a feeling, and through that recognition and that communication, she can uh, not not exacerbate the effects of that feeling so much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Because if, mm -hmm. if you were throwing a tantrum, it often makes whatever you're mad about, even worse. You oh, know yeah. What I mean? And uh, we do it, too. I know. And, you know, <laughs> like, so the, the other end of the spectrum is uh, suicide is a, that's a really, that's a really difficult one. And most of us are somewhere in between, you know. My tantrums look like uh, mindless eating, mm -hmm. uh, procrastinating, you know, neurotic thoughts about work or about myself or something having losing hours of my life to like some sort of um, weird stressful narrative before I realize that I am, am doing that, you know? So <laughs> mm -hmm. I think all of us, you know, like anyone who would ever listen to this would fall in that spectrum. Um, like what are some things that like we can do and take whichever one of them you relate to, like 
regarding how I see fitness or how I see nutrition or how I see my own um, self-defeating internal narrative or something, right? Like, like how can we take something like that and just just today apply some mindfulness techniques to it to stop throwing a tantrum, whatever a tantrum looks like? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's kind of like like I mentioned before. Like the first thing to do is to recognize that you're not mindful. I'm not being mindful. I found myself spacing out or picking up food and mindlessly eating it or lighting up a cigarette, you know, those kinds of things, just recognizing it and stopping for a moment, closing your eyes if you can, and then just focusing on your breathing for at least three breaths and try to figure out where your breathing is in that moment. Um, and that helps to bring a little bit more mindfulness into into any moment, anywhere. You do while driving, while waiting in line, while sitting at home. My children just got home. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> what about some... Was it Maddie? Yeah. Tell her to come say hi. Come say hi. This is his own video. Yeah, but it's okay. He can edit it out. If you don't want to be Hi. seen. Hey, Maddie. So. So I have, I have another surprise for you. So I'm going to show you this surprise because it's really funny. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> you know what that is? <laughs> An elf sticking its butt out. Yep, it's an elf sticking its butt out and pooping. And that's a tradition in Spain. Every Christmas, they hide one of those little pooping elves in their house. And the kids try to find it. And it sounds weird, but everybody... Well, not in Spain, but in this one place, and everyone does it. And so it's just like how we put up stockings or a Christmas tree. They put out a little pooping elf. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Cool. How was school? Good. Awesome. We did basketball all day. All day? All day. Well, you're pretty good at basketball. How was that? You don't sound happy about it. Well, my leg hurts. And also, my leg needs broken. What? My leg is broken. Oh, your leg is broken? Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, man. You need a cast. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I need a band-aid so it can get oh, fixed. A band-aid? Yeah. Well, Maddie, you should, go, you should go fix Lily's leg. That sounds pretty important. <laughs> when do you think the package is going to come in? I haven't sent it yet. Oh. Yeah, you're going to have to wait a while. <laughs> it's all right. I keep checking the mail every day, like, is it here, is it here, is it here? Oh, well, how about this? I'll tell you when I send it. That way you can stop checking before it's even in the mail, okay? Okay. All right. All right, I love you. Let's talk to your mom, your, uh, mom again. Okay. Howdy. Howdy. <laughs> nice? No. Why? Because they're too big for you. Ah. <laughs> um, so one more thing so you can get back to them um you mentioned like just pausing and noticing your breath right mm -hmm. before you're mindlessly going through the next thing um what about some like uh some daily exercises that that can like sort of help stop those those things those habits before they even start like, what, what are some things that have worked for you What's a what? What are some of those things that have worked for you? Okay, so there's the um, the rubber band thing. Or, uh, yeah, we'll do the rubber band thing. So you can put, like, a rubber band around your wrist. And the idea is that every time you find yourself kind of spacing out or not being mindful, you just move it to the other hand. And so it's a physical reminder, which generally helps people to be more mindful. So even if you weren't, uh, even if you didn't catch yourself in a mindless moment, just seeing the bracelet will remind you 
oh, right, I got to be more mindful. So that's one thing. Um, Have your your, your daughters done anything like that? uh, Yeah, I had Maddie do that, and it it worked for a couple of days, and then she lost the bracelet. (laughs) That was was my experience also. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But it totally worked for those couple of days. I was like, I was sort of in a meditative state. With with, mm-hmm. uh, with all of this stuff, like like work in does have positive results, so mm-hmm. that's good to know. Like if I if I try, it will help. What, uh, yes. What else have you have you used yourself or seen other people use? Um. Well, there's an app, a Headspace app, and I really like that uh, particular app. Um, I bought like a year subscription to it, but it's got so many different packs. Um, they've got one for anxiety, for depression, for stress, for fitness, for competition, for motivation. I mean, you name it and they probably have one. And a lot of them are basically the same. I mean, the key is to be more mindful. So like in the depression packs, for example, you know, at the beginning and end of the meditation, he'll talk about depression. But the meditation itself is, uh, they're very similar to each other. And the key is to just be more mindful. So that way you're more mindful when you feel um, anxiety rising up or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So I, I really do like those guided meditations because when I do sit down on my own to meditate, I have a tendency to um, space out. Right. Man, this, this <laughs> so, is fascinating. I keep, I keep feeling like, like uh like if I can just accept that I'm not whatever uh I consider perfect to be, right? If I was to start wanting to change my life, I'm not gonna ever be that like um ideal, perfect, productive person in every front, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to experience difficult emotions, I'm going to experience laziness, I'm going to react poorly sometimes. But if I can be mindful and not make those things worse, you know, and just experience right. them and like mm-hmm. let them flow, then, then that's pretty huge. You know what I mean? Just experience and let them pass. Experience yeah. and let them pass. Because um, I know that I probably experienced something challenging or negative and just held on to it for. Oh, yeah. For. I mean, often hours or days, but with some things and some people, it could be like years, years that you're just running, running through some repeated thing that mindfulness can help you release. You can move on. I've seen people do that. You know, God, it's so toxic. I don't know how people live decades like that. Mm -hmm. You, you know, those people when you see them. Yeah. Yeah. They're not people that are fun to be around. You don't pick that person out and say, I want to hang out with her. Right. Mm-mm. So what else in addition to the brace, the bracelet thing and the meditation and meditation, mm-hmm. um, you recommended headspace. Uh, yep. what, are, what are some other tools that, um, that you can use to improve your mindfulness and well-being? Um, well, there's another technique that I've heard about. I haven't tried it, but I have read about it where every time you get up from a seat, or sit down, you are mindful of how that feels. And it's a lot easier than than you think, because you think, okay, fine, I can do that. But then, you know, halfway through the day, you're like, oh, man, I've sat down and got up at least a dozen times, and I forgot to, I forgot to be mindful. Mm. Mm. Do you think that you could uh, poop without your phone? Could I poop without my phone? Yeah. I generally do. You do? Yeah. It's um, just a moment. It's just a moment with you. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But you know what? Now that you mention it, um, I think I space out on the toilet, though. Ah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I'm there. I don't have a phone or anything to distract me, but I have my thoughts to distract me. Right. Right. So now that's a challenge I will accept. Mm-hmm. When I, next time I poop, I'm going to be really aware of it because it feels good to poop. Right. Most of the time. <laughs> well, yeah. Most, unless you have like diarrhea or hemorrhoids or something like that. But most of the time it's like, ah. Oh. when you really, 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 really have to pee. And then you finally, oh, 
release it. It's one of the best feelings. Yeah, that is. And that's one of the things I think I'm pretty good at being mindful about. Oh, mm -hmm. here's something. To, if, if you know any tactics that are based on this tactic, this is something that I think I found naturally. Uh, I will... Um, so one time I was in a public restroom, right? And I'm peeing in the urinal. And I thought that mm -hmm. I had the place to myself. And so I'm peeing and I go... Right? Because mm -hmm. I'll use... I use those noises to like remind myself that it feels good and it makes it mm -hmm. feel better, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> the guy, there's a guy in the stall and he's like, <clears throat> right. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I was like, Oh shit. He probably, he probably thinks I'm doing something. He over here masturbating yeah. or something. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> anyway, is, is there, are there any other things where like, where you're just using sort of proprioception to notice what you're noticing? You know, mm -hmm. like you can meditate while you're uh, just walking, but, you know, oftentimes you'll sit as like a meditator just to remind yourself that you're meditating. Are there any other things that, that, that you can do just to like increase your presence with a task? Mm, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm sure there are, but nothing comes to mind. But you mentioned mindful walking. Mm -hmm. That's really good for people who can't sit still for 10, 15, 30 minutes. Um, and the idea is that you take a walk and you're just mindful of, you could do, for example, your feet as your feet hit the pavement over and over, how that feels, how you're stepping. And, and that sort of um, way to practice mindfulness is really good for people who just they can't sit still. They have to be moving or doing something. But you can also make it meditative. And then I've heard of other people who uh, find swimming very meditative or running or whatever that is. So you don't have to be sitting down on a mat in the lotus position to be practicing mindfulness meditation. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, though. <laughs> yeah, it did. Just, just like generally moving or feeling whatever you're doing just to increase the sort of sensation if you need to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because sometimes, I mean, restlessness is also an emotion that you don't have to give into it, but if so, sometimes it's like a battle that you don't want to fight. Um, so I'm not going to ask you to like, if you have uh, hope that the whole world can, can be peaceful and mindful and treat each other well and treat themselves well because it's too big and it's out of your sphere of influence but for your like for yourself your family the majority of people close to you do you um do you have faith that we can like uh heal you know heal our traumas and sort of face the difficulties of living in a distracted high-pressure society, you know, do you think that we can, um, you know, live, live mindfully and cultivate compassion in ourselves? Yeah, I certainly have hope. And um, I think one of the best ways that I can kind of help them to do that is by being an example myself. You know, as our loved ones watch us growing better, just growing as a person, um, we become sort of an example or a role model to those who are suffering from mindlessness or from, you know, other bad habits. Mm -hmm. <sighs> but that's quite a task because that means that I have to do it all the time. Well, maybe not all the time, but of course we can't be perfect, but yeah. it makes me more... Um, Accountable. You have to be accountable. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll wrap it up here soon. One, one more thing. I just want to like really feel this. So you're a uh, positive psychology, psychology lecturer, and I think it's safe to say that this is your thing. One of your mm -hmm. things, at least. What mm -hmm. you're what you're contributing to the world, and maybe this is just for my own like. Uh, 
to, to feel more empathy and compassion with you. Like, how hard is it? Like, <laughs> how hard is it to be that? And do you ever feel like um, you can get a little bit of release, you know? Like, like sometimes I fear, thinking about Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade again, that, like, it could be a losing battle, you know? Like, it's so hard, and it's just going to feel more pressure and collect more, like, mental neuroses and stuff over time. Um, how do you experience it? Like, uh, how, how challenging is it for you, personally? I have my moments. I certainly do. Moments of doubt. Um, but like with anything, I mean, it's really easy and I'm, I'm not perfect at it, certainly, but it's really easy. <laughs> Ari needs out. It's really easy to get caught up in that, that loop, you know, thinking that I'm not good enough or, um, you know, that people won't like me or whatever that is. But I try not to ruminate on it. I try to just accept that the thoughts are there, experience any emotions that are associated with those thoughts because they both work together. Um, and then just let it go. But it's so much easier to say that than it really is to do it. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And it's something I still struggle with is looking for that external recognition or, you know, for someone to say, good job, or I really enjoyed your class, or whatever, I still do, it, it helps, that helps a lot, but I don't want it to, you know, that's something that I'd like to grow beyond, not needing that, that reassurance. Yeah, what's the last, um, not external validation, the last experience that you had through your own eyes and skin and ears that and it could be in this conversation or today or in the past year or whatever the last experience that comes to mind that makes that makes it all worth it you know what i mean that like you're like oh okay mm-hmm. that's my little that's a moment of peace and freedom and happiness mm. i think i can generally experience that anytime i go outside you know just uh the last time I recall it recently would be uh, to my drive up to Austin. I was driving and I was in like this flow where I wasn't tired. It was a really weird sensation. It was like almost an out-of-body experience. But just the clouds and the scenery and the trees and everything was just so incredibly beautiful. And driving usually makes me really anxious you know, because you never know what the other drivers are going to do. And I'm a mom and I'm afraid of dying and leaving them alone without a mom and blah, 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 blah. But in that moment, it was actually longer than a moment. It was a few hours long where I experienced this. It was just like, I don't know, the sense of peace. And I didn't have any anxiety. Just kind of melting into the surroundings. At least my consciousness was, I don't know, a really cool experience. Wow, cool. And hearing yeah. you say that and how simple it is, like, I, and I don't always believe this, but right now I believe it, that, like, maybe, uh, maybe, like, that's, that's what life can mostly be. Rather than life mostly being obsession and neuroses, and mm-hmm. maybe it can mostly be that. And then sometimes we get bristled and we got to deal with it. But when we go back to that, you know what I mean? Um, I, I totally think that's possible. Like maybe we're in a temporary uh, illness or a temporary state where we've come away from that. But maybe like, maybe that is really where we can sit. You know, like, like as, as you were just saying that, I'm like, I could spend the rest of my day before I go to sleep tonight in a state kind of like that. Mm-hmm. If I remain mindful about it, you know. A little bit of work to do, yeah. a little working out, hanging out with family. I can be there. Mm-hmm. The I feel like I should mention this too, is that just like we shouldn't hang on to negative emotions, 
we should also not try to hang on to the positive ones either. And that's hard. That's really hard because they feel good. Mm-hmm. They feel good. So definitely appreciate those moments. Um, and there are some people who claim to just live in that state of pure joy all the time. I have yet to experience that, but I do believe that it's possible through mindfulness, connection with some sort of higher power. I don't know what it is, but um, definitely possible. Yes. All right. That's it for today. Thank you so much, Kat. I'm really glad to get this episode out there. I got a lot out of it. Listening to it is like a meditation for me. And I hope you listening got something out of it too. I hope you got a lot out of it. And I look forward to visiting you on the cool bus because I'm going to keep putting these podcast episodes out from the cool bus and maybe that'll turn into something. Maybe the context of this laptop and a microphone on a bus traveling around can turn into a series of podcasts that, I don't know, where everything builds on itself and it adds to the experience, brings me to more cool people, share more good experiences, uh, people who have something to offer each other. So enough of me. If you want to reach out and say what's up, know somebody that I should interview or somewhere to visit, or want to give me feedback or say, hey, email me at boztime at gmail.com. And I'm not good at goodbyes, so I love you. Peace.